everyone. Good morning again. We are going to be jumping in our Overcome series. And if you didn't catch that, that team was sent out. We had three people from our church and uh, several other people from Mile High Church, which we helped send Barry Hughes to go plant that just a couple years ago. Went to Alaska for that mission trip so you could see some of the action that you guys supported by sending those people. And if you're saying, hey, I want to go to Alaska, maybe you could come with our mission trip the next time we go. Um, But we are going to be in our Overcome series today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and jump into Genesis chapter 40. We're actually going to start in chapter 39, verse 20. So if you want to get there, we're going to look there. We're going to have the the verses up here on the screen as well. And today, we're talking about waiting. There's a little wait right there, right? Waiting sucks, doesn't it? I can say that, right? I'll probably get some emails about that, but it does suck. Does suck. I know personally how much waiting is is not fun. Um, two years after Melissa and I got married, I had just finished seminary at Denver Seminary, and we decided, hey, finished the school, starting in my job as a pastor, so we're ready to have kids. We were pretty young, we know, we realized that, but we were ready. We wanted to have kids, so we tried. And six months passed. Well, we were thinking, well, you know, isn't, something isn't working, but let's wait a little bit longer. So we waited a little bit longer. A few months later, a year came up. Well, maybe we need to go see a doctor. And we're still waiting. We're trying a bunch of different things. Nothing's working. And, and then month after month, we keep waiting. And months go by. Years went by. And we're still waiting for a child. I remember how awful the waiting is because every month when you're waiting for a child, you get a reminder. Nope, not this month. Not this month. Not this month. And each time that emotion would just spike and then you'd be like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to happen? Is this, is it just is it's so much pressure that you feel. When is this ever going to end? I remember crying out to God, why is this happening? Why do I have to keep waiting? And then more months went by, more years went by. People started to have kids, our friends, and then they would have a second kid and then a third kid. And we're like, okay, great for them. What about us? You know, you almost begin to resent those other people who are getting the thing you're waiting for. You've been there? Waiting sucks. Whether you're waiting for a child or for a marriage or relationship, whether you're waiting for that that job finally, whatever the thing is, or for your trial to just end, when is this going to be over? Waiting sucks. Submit it, right? So sometimes we feel like this, this waiting time is just so, like we're just spinning our wheels. What a waste of time. You ever felt that way? What a waste of time. I wish I could just get on with the thing that I want to do. Get on with the way I want my life to be. And yet we keep waiting. And we feel like we're just sitting around that all that time is worthless. But I want to tell you today that what we're going to learn from our passage that none of that waiting is worthless. It might feel like it. But there's something very important happening during that waiting. So this is my big idea for you today. That waiting on God isn't waiting around. You may feel like you're just waiting around, sitting on, you, uh, on your hands, you know, what, what, wasting all this time. What, why am I doing all this? Oh, it's such a waste of time. But it's not. None of it is wasted. You're not waiting around because when you're waiting on God, God is doing something important. So that's what we're going to see today in our passage when we look at the life of Joseph because he had to wait. He really had to wait. A few weeks ago, we saw him literally get thrown into a pit. And I use that as a metaphor for the trials that we go through in our life. Joseph got thrown into this pit by his brothers, and then his brothers, instead of killing, they were really nice, and they sold him into slavery. So he was a slave then for years. And then he was doing really well as a slavery, probably over a period of a decade. But as we saw last week, even though he did what was right, 
he had to pay the cost of character because character is costly. And he did what was right. And even though he had been uh, sexually assaulted by a woman, she claimed that he had assaulted her and he got thrown into prison. And that's where we ended off last week. Real fun spot for Joseph, right? The pit just keeps getting worse and keeps getting longer. Keeps getting longer. So for probably close to a decade now, Joseph has been sold into slavery, been working as a slave, and now he finds himself in prison and he's waiting. And we're going to learn four important lessons from Joseph today that what he did while he was waiting. And they're really important that I think we can learn from today. And this isn't an exhaustive thing of all the things you should be doing while you're waiting. But I think it's going to be really helpful if you do these four things. And I gave you a really nice little acronym. Yeah, that's nice, right? I usually don't do this. This is special. This would make Rick Warren proud. Wait, W-A-I-T. You can remember that, right? When you're waiting, what do you do? How do you handle it? How do you make it so it's not just wasted time? Well, these four things we're going to learn from Joseph are going to be so helpful, and I hope that you will remember them. So the first one, the W, is to work diligently. Work diligently. I mean, work hard. Work focused. Use your time that you have, even though it feels like a waste of time. It's not. There's something that you are supposed to be doing. And we see this with Joseph jumping back into chapter 39, verse 20. In verse 20, we read that Joseph's master, this is finishing up the last section, took him and put him in prison. Remember that? They throw him in prison. But while Joseph was there in prison, verse 21 then says, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Interesting. Even in the bowels of this Egyptian prison, where the king's prisoners were held, this was not a pleasant place. Joseph is working. I I, I see of him as like Andy Dufresne here, right? He's working for the warden and doing a good job. Maybe even there he's managing some finances. We saw him managing Potiphar's household, remember? But now he's uh, helping with the rest of the prisoners. He's like the go-to person. He's working hard, even in prison. Interesting, right? Interesting that Joseph is doing this. He's working diligently, even though he's just a prisoner. I mean, most of us think, wow, what a waste of time to just be stuck in there. But Joseph doesn't see it that way. He says, no, even right here, I'm doing something. And if you're thinking, Matt, this must be one of those cushy, you know, federal, you know, one of those nice penitentiaries where they got cable. No. okay, it's not. What's really interesting is that later in the book of Psalms, it fills us in on some of the details of what that Egyptian prison was like. And this is what it says in Psalm uh, 105. Speaking of Joseph, it says Joseph in this section, it says, They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Yeah, it sounds great, right? And I'm sure he would have loved cable. Bruised his feet, so it's physically demanding as these chains, these fetters are on his feet, and, and his neck is in an iron collar. Limit his movement. Man, I have a, talk about a stiff neck. Try to sleep in something like that. And that's where he was in prison. This was not pleasant. It was not fun. This would have been that period of that trial, that pit that you guys have, and you're like, this is no fun. This is physical pain. This is awful. How how am I going to get through this? You think it's just completely wasted time. But even Joseph is using this time, right? He's working diligently, even if it's just for a prison warden. Interesting. I think we can learn from Joseph's example here. In Colossians 3.23, Paul teaches us, 
whatever you do, whatever you do, only if you have a good job, it doesn't say that, does it? Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord and not for men. He addressed that section to slaves. Joseph was even worse than a slave now. In a prison, he couldn't even move about. In shackles. But whatever you do, Paul says, whatever it is, do with all your heart, with all your mind, as serving God. This is why I want to challenge you guys in your waiting phase. Maybe you're waiting right now to work diligently. There's something that God has given you as a task, as a job, as a position, as a mother. Wherever that place is that God has put you, you are called to work diligently. To focus, to do a good job. I know this is really hard because some of us, especially with our jobs, we're in a job that isn't the job we want, right? We're not in our dream job. We're not even in the career we want. It's a completely different field. And some of us think it's wasted time. When am I ever going to do that? And you're applying for all these different jobs and trying to get in there. But God is saying, hey, whatever you're doing right now is important. And maybe it's for your personal development. Maybe you're going to develop some skills that will put you ahead when you do get into the career that you're called to. Or or maybe there's a job that you're supposed to do for somebody else that's really going to help them. There's something that God has called you to right now. There are important skills that you can develop even in a completely different field. It's so important to pick up on that. So whatever you do, God is saying, just work diligently. I know you're not where you want to be yet. You're waiting. But where you are right now is important. Don't forget that. Even for Joseph, he was probably learning really important lessons about managing people, even managing some pretty awful, terrible people, all the other prisoners in there, that would help him a lot when he got to the position he was called to. We'll see that next week. He was learning some important skills that he needed, that God knew he needed. So we need to learn first to work diligently. The second one is A, right? We've got the first letter W, and the second one A is to assist others. Assist others, help others, encourage others, do stuff for other people, not just for yourself. Yeah, you might be building skills as you're working diligently, but God has put you in that position wherever you are in your life, in your situation, in this city that you don't even want to be in, or you're just waiting. You know, he's put you there maybe to help other people around you. And that's what Joseph began to recognize in the start of chapter 40, verse 1. He says that sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh, that's the king, was angry and put them in custody in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. He attended them. He served and helped other prisoners. Okay, so just a little context of what's going on here. The cupbearer and the the baker were very important. These were like the chief people. And this would probably have been an appointed position by the pharaoh, so you had to be pharaoh's friend, right? This is a nobleman's position. Because if you were one of these people, you got to eat the, the pharaoh's food. You got to live in the pharaoh's palace. Life was good for you. This would be like an ambassadorship, right? To a good location, right? Not Iran. Okay, this is a good location. This is where you want to be. And and these people probably had very prominent jobs. And as the cupbearer, that guy would have tasted the wine. He would have been like even the chief sommelier. How do you say that word? Thank you. What what he said. To the king, but he would have also tasted it just to make sure nobody slipped in poison for the pharaoh, right? 
So he would have, it was a very important position. And for some reason, he offended Pharaoh. He got thrown into prison. And then the chief baker, this guy would have, um, you know, made sure all the food was the best, right? He, he has to bring the top loaf of bread, the best cinnamon rolls, whatever your top uh, pastry is. That's what the, the Pharaoh needed to have. But he, too, offends Pharaoh and gets thrown into prison. We're not told what they did, but it must have been something that really got on Pharaoh's bad side. Because they're in this prison. But they're also noblemen. They're special people. So Joseph's job then was to serve them, to help them, assist them. It's interesting, right? Here in the prison, Joseph is put in a place to help other people. And I think that what happens to us is that we start to feel sorry for ourselves. You've been there? When we're waiting, we're like, oh, why is this happening to me? I've been waiting so long for this. Man, ugh, this trial is lasting forever. We just get so focused on ourselves. How can other people even expect anything from me? Because i got so much going on in my life. Been there? But God is saying, hey, don't just look at yourself. Yeah, maybe there's hard stuff going on. But there's other people who need help. And sometimes when we're in those really difficult positions, we think, well, they're going through nothing. But to them, it's the hardest thing they've ever gone through in their life. And God is saying, hey, you can use some of the, the comfort you have received to help others. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. This is really interesting. I want you to see this. It says, God comforts us every time we have trouble. Why? So when others have trouble, we can comfort them with the same comfort God gives us. Maybe God has put you through an ordeal, made you wait for something so you can help somebody else with their ordeal, with their waiting. Really, you learn important lessons. You learn skills even, how to make the the waiting better, and you can help and bring those to other people. God gives you comfort, and you can go to another person and comfort them. God wants us to assist other people. And this is exactly what Joseph does. Because the the baker and the cupbearer have a dream one night. They have a dream. There's a lot of dreams in the story of Joseph, isn't there? They have a dream the same night, and it freaks them out. And they talk about it, and they realize they had the same dream. It must have been a very vivid, graphic dream. And they're like not knowing what to do, and they're even despondent. And this is where we pick it up in chapter 40, verse 6. We both had... I'm sorry, let's go back. You were on the right one, Kelly. I was on the wrong one. Eight. We both had dreams, they answered, but they're... Oh, we need six. Sometimes they get a little mixed up. Verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, right? They're depressed, they're upset, they're sad, they're having a hard time because of this dream. So he asked, why do you look so sad today? We're going to get to what those dreams were in just a second. But this dream really was heavy, weighing on these two men. And Joseph doesn't say, try being in here for a few more years. See what your dreams are like then. You won't even be able to dream. You won't remember what the sun looks like. No, he doesn't say that. He asked, why do you look so sad today? He sees them in an emotionally desperate state, and he goes to help them. And he asks them a question. Do you know how important it is that we just need to ask people questions and shut up for a little bit? Seriously. People need us to help them that way, and sometimes we're so focused on ourselves that we never stop to think, what are they going through? When you do talk with someone and you're like, how are you doing today? And they're like, oh, fine. Do you ask some follow-up questions? What's going on? Why is it just fine today? Last week you were so happy. What's going on? Maybe we need to get coffee because this is way too much for a two-second conversation in church. Let's get together. Call them up. How can I assist you? How can I help you? Instead of just thinking, I got hard stuff on my own. I can't help them. God even uses us in that waiting phase 
purposely to assist and help others. So who has God put you around you that you need to help? Who are you called to help? I think this is so important for us to keep in mind. Um, I, I love this story. Maybe you remember this from a couple of years ago. But it was back at the end of 2016, and there was a woman named Cindy Stowell, and she was on Jeopardy. Do you remember this? See, Cindy, when she was on Jeopardy in August, had been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer and was given six months to live. But she went on Jeopardy, and she did it because every dollar that she made, she was going to donate then to cancer research. And in seven days, she uh, earned, by being really good at the show, $105,000, almost $106,000, and donated every dollar of it to cancer research. The tragic thing, she died before that episode ever aired. But even in that phase, she's like, she's waiting for death. But that waiting phase was so important. Think of how much impact she made with $105,000 that she donated. She used even that difficult time in her life to help others. And God uses us in the same way. How can we comfort others with the comfort we have received? If I've gone through this trial, maybe it's so that I can help other people in the same trial. Maybe the reason why I had to wait so long for that is I could help other people in their waiting phase. Assist others. That's the A. We got that? But as you're going to be assisting others when you're waiting through this trial, you're going to realize that sometimes it's really hard. It makes it even harder when you're in that trial when you're waiting. You know what I mean? When you're not feeling up for it and you're still helping somebody else, you realize, man, I don't even have it in myself to help another person. What do I do? And that's where we get our third letter. The I. We need to invite God's help. Because we will come to the end of ourselves and realize, I don't have any more to give. I feel depressed right now. How can I help another person with their depression? I'm angry. How can I help another angry person? We need God's help to do that. Because God does put those people in our lives in those situations to help them. And then we're like, how am I going to do this? I need help. I need help. I need help. That's why we need to invite God's help. We need to learn to rely on him. And this is what Joseph does in verse 8. Now now we're ready for verse 8, right? When they said, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. I love this. So let me explain a little bit about what's going on. In ancient Egypt, dreams are very important. They were as seen as God's, the gods speaking to you. And what they did was they had to have very important wise men to interpret the dreams. And they used these books. We have records of these books. They had these big, long, lengthy books that explained every single image that appeared in your dream to explain what that corresponded to in reality. So you needed a wise person to, to look in the book, and then you could interpret the dreams. But these two guys, feeling that way, freaking out, we don't have a wise person, we don't have a special Egyptian dream book, what are we going to do? And Joseph said, hey, you guys got it wrong. For one thing, nobody can interpret dreams, only God can. And then he immediately says, so tell me your dreams. Think of the boldness of that guy, Right? But it's not because it's coming from him, is it? Joseph doesn't say, I, can go, I got it. Let me get your dreams. I can interpret those. That's easy. No, he says, tell me them because God can interpret your dreams. He, in that moment, was relying on God to do something he knew he could not do. 
He didn't have access to those books. He didn't have wise people. He just said, I'm going to rely on God 100% to do this thing that I know I can't do on my own. And when we're in those waiting times, those trials, those struggles, and we're trying to help other people, trying to get through just the day, we need God's help. We get to the end of ourselves and realize I have nothing left. And we need to invite God's help and, and do things relying completely on his power. In the Psalms, this is a theme that occurs again and again. And in Psalm fifty fifteen, we read, call on me, God says, in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you will honor me. You will even honor me as you call. God wants to help us. He wants to be the person that you rely on when you don't think you could do it anymore. So we have to learn to invite God's help in those difficult situations. Man, this is so important. Especially in that waiting, even when you're not talking about helping another person, just for yourself to get through. Man, we need God's help. There's so many times that I cried out to God, God, just help me because I don't even feel like I can get through another month of waiting. I don't think I can get through one more month of this. I need to invite God's help again and again and again. It is amazing how many times in the Psalms, which were prayers by God's people, how many times it says, How long, O Lord? Did you know that occurs again and again in the Psalms? How long, O oh Lord? How long is this going to take? We can be angry. We can be upset. We just got to call out to God and say, God, I need your help because this is taking forever. This waiting is going on so long, so just help me get through this. We need to invite God's help. We need to invite God's help. And here's the, the last point, and I want to really point this out because some of you are maybe new to Christianity or, or you know, maybe you've never... You know, believe in Jesus, and you're like, Matt, that just seems stupid to invite God's help. You know, don't we need to do something? Here's the thing. I said waiting on God isn't waiting around. So here's the fourth point, the T. Try to get out. Seriously. Yeah, we pray. Yeah, we, we do all these other things in the waiting, in that time that we're not where we want to be yet. But we need to take some initiative and try to get out. This is what Joseph does. So... What's really interesting in this story is that Joseph then interprets the dream, and we'll get to those interpretations in just a second. But he says in verse 14, yeah, let's pull that up, Kelly. In verse 14, he says, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. He doesn't say, oh, I know God's going to take care of it. I don't even have to try to get out. The one way that he can get out, there's no lawyer. There's, there's no appeals that he can file with the Supreme Court. He says, if, if, when you get out, get me out. Remember me. You're one of Pharaoh's friends. You're in the palace with him. Talk to him and say, hey, there's this great guy, Joseph, that interpreted my dream. Help me get him out. Joseph is making an appeal to them emotionally to do whatever he can to get out. This is his only chance to get out of prison, and he's going to try to take it. And that's what we need to learn. We can learn from his example. If there's a way that we can get out of our pit, out of our trial, out of our waiting, we should take it. Of course, last week we learned that we shouldn't sin, we shouldn't do something that's breaking with integrity and character. But there are many things that we can do. If you're waiting for a spouse, it's okay to go on a date or two. Seriously. Some of you laugh and some of you are like, yeah, I guess so. When you're waiting for a child, you can get some help. If you're going through a terrible trial, you can go get counseling. You should go get counseling. We should try to get out of our pit. It's okay. It's godly. Joseph did it, and he's an example to us. Tracking with me? Try to get out. It's pretty simple. You guys can remember that? Wait. Try to get out.
try to get out. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I hope that you guys can remember this. It's pretty simple, right, with the weight. Man, that's as easy as an acronym as you can get. When you're waiting, you wait. You work diligently. You assist others. You invite God's help, and you try to get out. We can learn from Joseph's example here and do these things. And when we do them, it will make our waiting time not wasteful time. It will make it important. It will make it helpful to us that we will benefit and grow and things will happen to us and things will happen to get us out of those pits. And that waiting time isn't wasted because waiting on God isn't waiting around. It's not. Waiting on God is not waiting around. I told you I was going to tell you about the interpretations, right? So the first guy that tells the dream is the cupbearer. And his dream went like this. That he saw these vines in a vineyard. And there's three of them coming out. Three branches coming out. And, and in his dream, he sees these branches start to bud. And then to blossom. And then a grape form. And then in his dream, he says he grabbed these grapes from these three different branches. And he squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And served it to Pharaoh. So Joseph says, I know what your dream's about. Those three branches refer to three days. Because three days from now, Pharaoh will bring you out of prison and he will lift up your head, which was a sign of honor, will lift up your head and restore you to your old position. Oh, that sounds great. Awesome. The baker then hears that and thinks, oh, okay, this is great. I like this guy. He gives good interpretations. So he says, okay, tell me about my dream. And, And the baker's dream went like this. That he had this big basket on top of his head, three baskets, and they were filled with all sorts of breads and delicacies, raisin bread, cinnamon rolls, whatever it is. And he says, then the birds came to these baskets and started eating the bread out of the baskets on my head. What does that mean? Joseph says, well, the three baskets represent three days. Starting good so far, right? I like the last guy's three days. What's this? In three days, Pharaoh will call you. And he too will lift up your head, but not in a sign of honor. He will take your head off, put you on a pole, and the birds will eat your flesh. So what happens? Well, three days later, it's Pharaoh's birthday. On Pharaoh's birthday, it was the time to celebrate, and even that included giving some pardons. And he brings out these two friends of his from prison, the cupbearer and the baker, And he restores the cupbearer to his position and then chops off the baker's head, puts him up on a pole where the birds eat his flesh. You don't have to worry about the justice of that situation or what this thing they did, what did it really deserve that. But the point is Joseph gave a true interpretation. It actually happened 100%. God did tell him what those dreams meant. And God had, had put it on Joseph's heart, and Joseph made that appeal. He tried to get out, and he told him, hey, remember me when you get out, speaking specifically to the cup there. Remember me. But guess what happened? A few days passed, and I'm sure Joseph was thinking, hey, those guys are busy. Get just back in his position. He's probably really happy to see his family again. He, he's getting back into the swing of things. He's probably going to wait right for the right time to talk to Pharaoh. And then a few more days passed. And then a few weeks, and I'm sure that he was thinking every excuse he could think of. I'm sure the cupbearer is just trying to, to, to get to Pharaoh's ear and get into a good place where Pharaoh will listen to him and, and then bring me out. But then even more weeks pass, and then months pass, and then years passed. And for two years, 
that cupbearer forgot Joseph, the man who helped him out of prison. And this is what it says at the very end of our chapter. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I point this out because in our waiting, sometimes we were like, man, everybody forgot me. Maybe they literally forgot me. Feels like God has forgotten me, leaving me here in this point. When am I going to get out? And I want you to recognize that for Joseph, he did what he should do. He did what was right. He taught us those four lessons from example, and still he didn't get out. I point that out because some of you are going to try to take these four things. I've been waiting, Matt. As soon as I do these four things, God's going to let me out, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. These four things are not the key to get out of waiting. I have no idea how long it's going to take for you to get out of your trial, out of your waiting period. I don't. But I can tell you that that time, however long it is, is important. And it's not waiting around. Because waiting on God is never waiting around. And this is so important because during all that phase, I know that God was developing in Joseph character. And in our lives, he's developing character as well. He's changing us. He's forming us. He's making us into the people that we need to be. Did you know that patience is one of the most important life skills you can have? Patience and perseverance, which, how do you learn that? Waiting. But seriously, I, I heard this interview with Dr. Ayelet Fishbach. She's a PhD and, and she teaches at the University of Chicago and she's done a ton of research on patience and perseverance. And she talked about that what they found is that People that have high patience levels, that can persevere through difficult trials and lengthy trials, those people have way better outcomes in their life than people who don't have patience. These are some of the things that she found. That people that have low patience have a more negative outcomes in their career, in their academic life, in their health, and with the finances. On the other hand, when people do develop patience, starting in kids, it leads them to more success in schools, literally higher SAT scores, and more friends. When they have more patience, they grow up to advance farther in their careers than other people. They um, keep their jobs. They are more likely to stay married and not get divorced. They are way less likely to be addicted, and therefore they have much better health outcomes and they live longer. In the interview, it was really interesting because she says, yeah, but, but we really don't know how to develop patience in people. I can tell you, when God puts you in a time to wait, when God puts you in that phase, he's helping you learn to wait, and he's learning and developing in you patience and perseverance, because you have to keep going forward. It's so easy to just lose heart, because it can make you embittered and discouraged and angry, or you can learn to wait well, like we learned that Joseph did. And I hope that you will learn that as well. I hope that you will learn that in well. Paul Tripp once said that waiting is not just about what I get at the end of the wait, but about who I become as I wait. Who I become. God is developing you as a person during that trial as you wait. And I know it's hard to wait. It took us five years to have McKinley. And we're so grateful to have our daughter. We, we feel so blessed that we had that. But we also know that during that five years, it was important too. Just a few weeks ago, I was at a retreat with a bunch of other lead pastors here in the Rocky Mountain region. And the guy who's coaching us gave us a scripture to meditate on. And I thought it was pretty fitting. It was Isaiah 40. 
And in Isaiah 40, verses 31 and 32, we read this. Even boys grow tired and weary, and young men collapse and fall, but those who keep waiting for the Lord will renew their strength. Then they'll soar on wings like eagles, they'll run and not grow weary, they'll walk and not grow tired. And as I meditated on it, I kept, kept asking why. Well, why does God make us do that? Why doesn't he just give us the strength to begin with? But then you see that he renews their strength even stronger than you were when you were a young boy, as a child, as a youth. You'll have even more strength and renewed strength again and again and again. And I really felt like God was telling me, Matt, I put you through all this waiting because you need more strength. And I think he's telling us that as well, that we need to be stronger, that maybe I started out the first five years of my ministry as a pastor in a trial, which was the worst trial I'd ever experienced, because he wants me to have the strength to do ministry for decades to come. And maybe for your life, the trial that you're going through right now is for a purpose. It's not just waiting around when you're waiting on God. And you know, I think it's so funny that we, we kind of just expect life to be so much better. Oh, you know, God's going to bless me, right? It's going to be perfect. There's going to be no waiting, no trials. Yeah, right. Think about the waiting in the Bible. From the very beginning, Adam was alone and God made him wait for Eve. Noah had to wait forever for the dry land to appear. Abraham and Sarah had to wait decades for their first child. And that goes on. Jacob had to wait 14 years to marry the woman he loved. Moses had to wait 40 years before he could be the leader that God called him to be. And then the Israelites had to wait finally for freedom. And then after they had their freedom, another 40 years before they could enter into the promised land. Think about Ruth and Naomi who had to wait for someone to redeem them and provide for them as they were widows. Think about David who had to wait over two decades to be the king that God had anointed him to be. And think about Jesus, who waited till he was 30 to begin his ministry, and even then told people, my time has not yet come. And then when he died on the cross, and all was seen lost, the world waited three days for him to come back from the dead. There's a lot of waiting in the Bible. The disciples had to wait. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come on them before they could do what Jesus had told them they were going to do. Waiting is almost intrinsic to who we are as Christians and as the people of God. But it's for a purpose. Because waiting on God isn't waiting around. Let's pray. Lord God, I know it's hard to wait. We feel like Joseph, those 12, 13 years that he waited. Man, I hope my trial isn't that long. Or some people are like, that's nothing. I've been waiting for decades. But God, you know that in our waiting, you are doing something special in us, developing us the character we need, making us the people you've called us to. So I pray that during that time, we would learn to wait like Joseph waited, that we would work diligently, that we would assist others who are around us, that we would invite your help and learn to rely on you 100%, and that we would try to get out whenever we can. But even if it takes longer, even if we feel forgotten, Lord God, would you help us have the strength to wait again and again and again? Amen. So we have this band up here, and we got a great band today, don't we? Yeah.